Welcome to where the big boys play. Welcome to 20 years of Nitro worldwide edition. Our post Nitro bonus show where we dive into the dirt sheets and check out the other channel as we round up the week in wrestling that was December 9th to December 15th, 1996. I am your host Tim Root and with me <laughs> as always is my broadcast colleague Dave Amantorp. How are you doing this week, Dave? Uh, I'm doing well. Uh, I feel like it's been a while before we're able to get through this week uh, as far as recording at Last Nitro is concerned. So it'll be nice to kind of move on and and finally look forward to a, a different Nitro than the one that we saw. <laughs> well, this is, of course, one of our bonus episodes. If you're not familiar with the worldwide format, uh, the way our podcast works, we review an episode of Nitro. Uh, in this case, the most recent one we reviewed was episode 65, the December 9th, 1996 episode. And then about a week later, we come back and we talk about what was on Raw that evening, what was in the ratings, and uh, what was in the dirt sheets, what was going on all around the wrestling world, what else was happening uh, that week in December. So the first thing we like to do, of course, is to change the channel over to the USA Network, because it's time for our Raw Recap. Over on Raw, uh, Psycho Sid defeated Triple H by Countout. I have not actually watched this, Raw. I, I sometimes try to watch him. Uh, this time I didn't get a chance to. I actually have it going here in the background of the network. Uh, in fact, Sid just kind of choke-pushed Triple H over the top rope. Oh, yeah. I've, I've, always, liked that. I've always liked that move. The ending. Uh, let's see if I can find it. No, he's powerbombing Triple H. I think it involved Bret Hart in some way because uh, this is this Raw was the go home episode for its time. Um, so if I had to guess why it was a count out, I'm guessing that Hart had something to do with it. But that's just a guess. Not that important. We're not a Raw. We're not a Raw podcast. Yeah, you know, in your house, it's time. That's a really well known uh, catchphrase of Bret Hart. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because they had to name it so far in advance, and then by the time they got there, they were like, "Yeah, Vader." Not so much a part of our plans, because Shawn Michaels doesn't like him. That's enough of a reason for us, I guess. Right. It's just kind of a funny footnote that that one is definitely named for a wrestler that could have been on the show, but wasn't. <laughs> uh, Goldust defeated Bart Gunn. Jesse James defeated Justin Bradshaw and uh, Uncle Zeb in a handicap match. Hmm. And uh, The Undertaker defeated Mankind in a no-holds-barred match in the main event which is a pretty big match for a 96 Raw. Uh, again, I didn't watch the episode, but I am sort of curious as to what that match was like, and I, I might go back and try to find that because that might be kind of interesting. Uh, this is, you know, right now, Taker 
uh, he's feuding with Mankind, but he's also feuding just sort of in general with Paul Bearer and uh, Terry Gordy under the mask as the executioner. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I know that, I mean, obviously we're still like more than a few months away from a real Attitude Era hitting uh, WWF, but uh, I know late 96, they were really starting to bring out like the holds bar matches like pretty much every other week, it seemed like. Uh, especially with Mankind, because I, I, I remember that the night after Survivor Series 96, Steve Austin turned around and had a no-holds-barred match with Mankind, or at least taped then. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, they're, they're, st- they're, uh, st- they're already kind of sprinkling in a little bit of that, um, that ECW influence in late 96. Absolutely. Uh, in our ratings roundup, Raw came in with a 2.3, and Nitro came in with a 3.1, uh, 2.9 in hour one, and a 3.4 in hour two. Uh, interesting note: in men 18 to 24, Nitro had nearly double the audience of Raw, so they're killing them in kind of the primary uh, demographic that advertisers look at in terms of wrestling programming. Yeah. Um, Nitro basically dominates Raw in almost every demo except for kids, which WWE, uh, which Raw wins very slightly. I think it was like 51 percent and teenagers where Raw is absolutely blowing Nitro away. Uh, And I think that's interesting because teenagers, you know, they're they're tastemakers. And what teenagers are into now is what everyone is going to be into in like two years from now. Oh, sure. Uh, So it's it's very interesting to see that teenagers uh, in 1996, are watching Raw a lot more than they're watching Nitro, and I think that is part of of what's going to pay off for WWF in the long run. Yeah, it's I mean it's interesting in perspective nowadays uh, in 2019 when there's a lot of talk about um, NXT versus all the wrestling and their ratings, and whenever one of the shows beats the other show, we're talking about like tens of thousands. Uh, viewers right. more like it's such a narrow margin in comparison to in in like the height of the monday night wars like it's almost a million i mean that's a very that's a, a stop like the 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 amount that nitro won is the amount of, that people watch aew dynamite <laughs> pretty much right i mean just to kind of put things into perspective well it's funny you bring up that comparison because i've seen people on twitter uh, and this is mainly, and I'm not trying to pick a side, because uh, the the extremists on both sides are kind of ridiculous. Yeah. But some of the diehard uh, WWE fans I've seen claim, like, because um, AEW, when they lost a couple episodes recently, people pointed out, well, they won in the key demo, the, the only real demo that advertisers care about. Right. The adults, 18 to 49. And I've seen people actually claim... No one ever talked about demographics in the Attitude Era. We were only talking about who was winning week to week. Right. And probably on like your average layperson, that's true. But if you open up the torch, if you open up the Observer, they're talking about demographics in almost every issue. Yeah. Demographics are not a new thing that people invented mm-hmm. to try to give AEW to to spin uh you know wheat into gold. Like demographics have yeah. always been the way the television industry has functioned. Uh, so if you didn't know that in 1997, that's because you were 16. You didn't give a shit. Right. And, <laughs> and, and just because like the, the basic news would be what those numbers were, it doesn't mean that Vince McMahon and Eric Bischoff were not looking at demographics, you know, right. I'm sure that they poured over all like the intricate things to try to find where they're getting edge, where they need to 
uh, yes. to get more viewers in order to maintain it. So no demographics has always been, it's always been a factor. Anyone that says that is just dumb or is, is lying. So where, where Bischoff really was a genius uh, and you can go to some of the, when any of the interviews, the podcast, the documentaries, when he's talking about the formation of nitro uh, and how he kind of came up with the themes and the ideas, mm-hmm. he points to a, a focus group they did that was really instrumental where he identified the things that they were going to be because he knew, he knew that WWF was always going to have certain things cornered and he knew that their way of being successful was going to have to fill the alternative market. So he identified they're great with kids. I want to be great with adults. Yeah. Here's the things they're doing that appeal to kids. I'm going to find out what appeals to adults. So demographics were baked into nitro from the inception in trying to appeal to this audience specifically. Mm -hmm. Um, so yeah, it's uh, I'm not, and it, we live in a weird world where because of Twitter uh, and Facebook and just just the world we live in, everyone is so media savvy that we expect everyone to know all this shit about how the indi- entertainment industry works. Yeah, and that's not entirely fair because I do think that to counter the sort of people on the the far end of the AEW spectrum. Like, when, when NXT wins a couple weeks, it's a little ridiculous to go, well, actually, AEW won because of demographics. Like, oh, the sure. average person should just look at who watched the show the most. Mm-hmm. More people watched NXT, NXT won. Like, there's no... Oh, right. I understand where you're trying to make the point where, okay, demographically, whatever. Mm-hmm. But, like, to the average human being, more people watch show A than show B then show a wins right. and like just say good week we will try to get you next week yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i mean i think it's also fair to be like well i mean if you look at the story here you can see how the demographics pulled out and you can see the aw still doing fine that's right. i mean that's one thing you don't want to turn that around to be like okay well then they they te- they win this week as far as i'm concerned right. like yeah yeah as far as a a win loss record for a thing that's not even a win loss like thing you know <laughs> You gotta have yeah. you have to be a little bit realistic. It's like, bottom line is like who, like you said, who watched one show more than the other show? Of course, the the reaction of all sane people, and this is, I think, overwhelmingly the pervading feeling. It's great to see both shows doing well. Yes, neither show is failing, neither show is floundering. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's fantastic. It's really, really great. What a great time to be a wrestling fan. Absolutely. Uh, in other ratings news, this was just something interesting I saw in the Pro Wrestling Torch, because uh, we're getting a little bit away now from the November Sweeps Week. Uh, sweeps, of course, being the week. I don't know how much this still exists now we're in this kind of streaming world, but there used to be a week in February and a week in November. Uh, then it became like the entire month, but those weeks and those months were exceptionally important because it was the ratings that networks got during those weeks and months that determined the rate that advertisers would buy ads on their shows on. So you were especially cognizant of doing great shows during sweeps week. That's when they would have huge guest stars and characters dying and season finales and all that. Mm -hmm. Um, So we're getting, we're a little far away from sweeps week, which was November 17th to November 11th. Uh, And so we're getting some more uh, data on those now. And so the pro wrestling torch, reports that WCW had three hours, uh, one hour of Saturday night and each hour of Nitro that happened in that week that finished in the top ten of all cable shows during sweep we- Sweeps Week. 
in the 18 to 49 demographic where they averaged over 1.3 million households for each hour. So the only reason I bring that up is, you know, Sweeps Week is when all shows are pulling out all the stops. Yeah. And here on cable during Sweeps Week in 96, three of the top 10 hours were WCW programming. That's that's huge. That's that just shows you uh, even though the ratings are only a fraction of what they'll be even a year into the future. Mm-hmm. Like this truly is a, a cable juggernaut. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. One other thing I want to get to before we do our couple segments on uh, the dirt sheets is I wanted to mention we talked a few weeks ago. We had an episode where Sean Casey and Hardbody Harrison were both on. Yep, we sure did. Uh, we talked about them, and we talked about them in the Nitro we just covered because we had uh, Drusifer on, and he, uh, you know, he's a fan of the Ohio scene. That's where he's from. He's seen a you know ton of guys. That's where Sean Casey is based and still wrestles to this day. Mm-hmm. So it came up again. So uh, recently, Dave Penzer, former WCW ring announcer, also claims to be uh, the only man to be present at every episode of WCW Monday Nitro. He has a podcast called Sitting Ringside, uh, which I I check it out whenever I can. Um, it's not what I listen to every week, but I, I definitely listen kind of guest dependent. And it's it's a good show. He's, he's definitely a guy who has a... Uh, flair for radio uh, you could definitely picture him like on a sports radio station for sure and he did a Q&A episode and so I, I asked a couple questions um, I don't even remember what my first one was but I, I asked about uh, Sean Casey and Hardbody Harrison I just said hey what a weird coincidence these guys were in the company you know on the same episode of, of one episode of Nitro and they both had these insane crimes lodged against them and, and I asked if he had any memories uh, Sean Casey didn't remember the guy, which makes sense. He was there for a cup of coffee as a job guy. Uh, but Hardbody Harrison, he remembered because Harrison was there for a few years. Um, and he said the craziest thing about Hardbody Harrison was that he would brag about these crimes all the time. This thing where he had like women in kind of a cult back home who were just like living across the street from his normal house. And he had them as like servants and stuff. Hardbody Harrison would just come to Nitro and he would only be brought in every once in a while to do jobs or on Saturday night, what have you. Uh, and he would just talk about it, and everyone just thought he was crazy. No one took him seriously because it was insane. It was just nuts what this guy was talking about. Uh, and he and he would talk about how much money he had because he was, like, milking all these guys for he'd send them out on the indies or he'd pimp these women and he'd take their money. Uh, and he would talk about all his money and no one could figure out, like everyone assumed he must be lying because if that was true, <laughs> why would he come to Nitro and do a job for $150? Right. <laughs> like if you didn't need the money, why would you do that? And so when, it, that, when he got was arrested, his, was that his front then? His front was a professional wrestler. I think he just kind of wanted to be famous or, mm-hmm. you know, we, he did run wrestling shows with his like uh stable of wrestlers and, and women that he was taking advantage of all of them. It could be that he just yeah. he needed to show up in a legit, like he was like, I'm on TV. So, you know, that I'm real, mm-hmm. you know, I think that might've been part of it. He's just a, a bizarre dude. So right. uh, then he got arrested and everyone was like, holy shit, he was really doing that stuff. <laughs> so I thought uh, that was pretty funny. So if you go to the most recent episode, uh, we're recording this the week of December 5th, 2019. So if you look at uh, whenever you're listening to this episode, if, if you do want to check out that Penzer ring site, he talks a lot about his time in WCW. He tells some stories from there and from his uh, his stint in TNA as well. Uh, it's a fun listen. It's a good episode, good mailbag. So 
just wanted to make sure since he took the time to answer my question i wanted to plug his show over here dave can you do me a quick favor before we move on what's up i need you to light the torch The Pro Wrestling Torch starts off with a lot of pay-per-view news this week. The first being that ECW has confirmed that their first pay-per-view will be held on March 30th, which I believe is Easter Sunday in 1997. Uh, But the Torch does note that that date may change, which it does. Mm -hmm. Uh, Spoiler alert, but it, it does. For his part, over in The Observer, Dave Meltzer is reporting that the most likely date is April 13th, which actually proves to be correct. So... If you were scoring these two newsletters uh, on accuracy on this one story, this one goes over to Dave. Um, I was just going to say that the April 13th, 1997 is just like a wrestling date that's kind of etched in my mind as like, right. that's when Fairly Legal was. So um, right. So if, if you would have thrown out, you said like, this was the right date and it, you said something else, I'd be like, no, no, I, I know that's not right. <laughs> that that one it just that's just a date that just will always stick in my mind as like oh that was the day that ecw had their pay-per-view speaking of pay-per-view in 1997 wcw will produce 12 pay-per-views uh two are planned to be branded as nwo shows okay the first of those nwo shows is scheduled to be january 18th 1997 uh, and we'll actually talk about that a little more in our next episode. Oh, okay. All WCW pay-per-views are going to be priced as twenty-seven ninety-five in the in 1997. So in 1996, uh, basically any major show, which unlike unlike WWE, who has the big five at this point, mm-hmm. uh, King of the Ring, and of course the more traditional big four everyone knows about, uh, those those big five have one price, and then all the in your houses have a lower price. A solid $10 lower, but the in-your-house shows are an hour shorter than the Big Five. In WCW, all shows are three hours. Uh, They just sort of decide which shows are considered major shows, and it's really more or less just which shows Hogan is on, which which is not just a thing about his ego, but it makes sense from a financial standpoint because he has such a huge cut of pay-per-view built in his contract that if he's on a pay-per-view, they should charge more from the customers in order to kind of make up the profit difference that they're losing to him. (laughs) Right. Um, So in 1996, if if basically if Hogan was on a a pay-per-view, then that cost $27.95. If he was not, it cost $24.95. But they found that the more expensive shows actually had a higher buy rate on average, so it really seemed like the market was telling them that the cost of the show had not uh, did not really have an impact on the buy rate. Yeah. So in 1997, they were raising the price of all of them to 27.95, which means if you ordered all 12 WCW pay-per-views in 1997, you would be paying a total of $335.40. That seems like a lot. It does seem like a lot. Hopefully your mom and dad aren't doing the math when you're asking every month. They're just thinking about that month. (laughs) 
WWF is sticking with their uh, the way that they do things, which is the five major three-hour events, which are twenty nine ninety five, and seven two-hour events at nineteen ninety five. So if you were to order every WWF show, it would be two hundred eighty nine dollars and forty cents. Which means if you do, if you ordered every WWF and every WCW pay per view, you would uh, have spent in nineteen ninety seven. $624.80. That's a lot of money. If you adjust that for inflation, that's $997.12. So basically a cool grand if you ordered every show both these companies were doing in 2019 dollars. I don't think these kids realize how good they have it with the network in a lot of ways. Well, I mean, back in the day, I probably got um, one or two pay-per-views a year. Right. Much. Same here. Uh, although that was also because I was like, I'm not going to even bother asking because I know it's going to be no. So. <laughs> yeah, I don't remember. I don't remember ordering a single pay-per-view that wasn't WrestleMania until SummerSlam 99 because my dad wanted to see Jesse Ventura and what he was going to do as much as I did. Yeah. And then when I watched a lot of Attitude Era pay-per-views, and I was really only watching WWF at the time, uh, it was mostly at a friend's house, a high school friend who had a cable to scrambler. Oh, okay. So we, no one was paying anything for those pay-per-views, yeah. so we all went to his house. It was I think I may have talked about this on the show, but in, in high school it was kind of a funny thing where the group of friends that got together to watch wrestling pay-per-views was like, it was guys from every social group. It, you know, we, This particular group of guys never would have got together for any other reason. It just we yeah. happened to be the guys who liked wrestling. Yeah. This guy's on the football team. I'm the theater dork. Uh-huh. This guy's just like a weird nerd. This is the stoner kid. But we all came together to watch wrestling because it's more fun to watch wrestling with people who like it than by yourself. Yeah. You know? no, that's, no, that's understandable. <laughs> But I, I mean, just just thinking what you're saying about the 1996, um, as far as not being a difference, I don't know if I, as a kid or even as an adult, if I would have thought of much difference between 24 and 27 dollars. Exactly. Yeah. You know, I I just don't think that that would register as like, oh, it's three dollars more. I don't think so. I think it's right. it's more when you were getting to a little bit later on when they would have like the the four no one like or like you were saying. Like in your house is nineteen. What was it like nineteen dollars, and the other ones are twenty four dollars? Or yeah, it was uh in in WWF it was tw- it was twenty nine and nineteen twenty nine ninety five and nineteen ninety five. Yeah, like the ten dollar difference. That's something that you're like, oh okay, that's significantly different. But like the three dollars, like I just don't think you would register really. So um, right, I, and the fact that they're like they they can see like well people are not not buying the $27 so we can just go ahead and make all the tw- it's 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 too bad they weren't like let's just make them all $24 because it doesn't make a difference <laughs> and since business is about to continue to pick up in 1997 I'm curious to see when we're talking a year from now in nitro terms when we're at the end of 1997 mm-hmm. I'm curious to see what happens for 1998 do they go for broke and raise everything to $34 just because like right. why not People are, you know, clearly people want to buy this. And, and um, you know, not only do they get a lot more viewers, but their pay-per-view business has always uh, lacked kind of 
or lagged rather behind the WWF, even as they're killing them in the ratings. Yeah. Generally speaking, the the buy rates for a WWF pay per view are better than the buy rates for a WCW one. So as the buy rates start to catch up, uh, I'm I'm curious to see what WCW does with the pricing of their pay per views. Well, I just knowing how it looks like in on WWF side at this point, like they are far superior as far as making you aware of the pay-per-view that's coming up. Yes. Um, yes. Like they, uh, I would, I mean, I was watching from a raw that was like the year before talking about in your house and they would have an info, like an infographic that would show the name of the pay-per-view and how to order it and all that. And we have not, I mean, maybe it's because they edited on the network. I feel like that's not the case. But you never see those infographics. That you never see the reminders of the date of the pay per view, or how to order it, or how much it costs, or what the matches are. Like it's just by by following along with the show, you would get an idea of who's wrestling and what the date is. But they never really kind of like go all the way to remind the viewers like this is another show that's not Nitro that you should be watching that you'll have to pay for. Yeah, I think um, I do. Uh, the one thing that they do that maybe we're not giving them enough credit for is they do run commercials. Uh, the network usually kind of keeps one of those in. Yeah. We're in an ad break. We'll see like a promo for Starcade or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, you're right. The, usually Saturday night and like pro and worldwide are more for selling the pay-per-view. That's where they run the control center and all that shit. Oh, sure. Um, on Nitro, I think they're so obsessed with winning the ratings war mm-hmm. that they're just like, we're not slowing down Nitro to tell you what's happening one month from now. Which is weird because, I mean, just the most recent Nitro that we were watching, it was dedicated to Roddy Piper going up against Hogan. Well, I was going to say, I do think that Nitro is getting much better. Yes. Yeah, they're making they're making like a very slow progress, but you can see it is for for their side of things it's in the right direction of right we understand that nitro does need to hype up the pay-per-views because the pay-per-views are important if we are really going head-to-head with wwf because it's not just a matter of monday night wars i mean there's also the pay-per-views to consider yeah in the in the episode we just watched nitro assert or excuse me piper certainly hammers on the date december 29th he mentions it a few times throughout his promos flair does the same thing uh, and I've actually already watched the next Nitro, and it it definitely comes up a lot. Like Eric Bischoff spends an hour on commentary in the next Nitro, and he goes hard on selling the paper. <laughs> but I guess I, I don't want to steal, steal too much thunder from our next episode. But yeah. they this this Starcade especially they are really selling it in a way that uh, I don't know that they've done for another pay per view except for maybe Bash at the Beach, mm-hmm. uh, where they really were like constantly making sure that you were going to order bash at the beach and watch it in other news out of the torch a woman claimed that Shawn michaels struck her on the face on the way back to the locker room after having a uh, match for a tv taping in springfield massachusetts she has sued him and there's a court date set for later this month uh, on the wwf hotline jim ross claims that he have watched the tape and that nobody is hit by Michaels. Oh, oh, someone from the WWF, like. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I don't think that case really goes anywhere, so that might not be totally inaccurate. 
um, you know, there that might just be bullshit and posturing, and maybe they're going to settle or whatever. But like, mm-hmm. you know, it's not like that woman was made a millionaire because it turned out that yeah, he smacked her really hard or something like that. Right. But it's <laughs> but it's also good to be like, oh, I really need to know what happened between this uh, person that works for the WWF and another person that's uh, just there for one show. I should go to right. the WWF's hotline. And talk <laughs> right. and listen to one of the executives in the World Wrestling Federation and find out the true story behind things. <laughs> I was about to call him a WWF employee, but Shawn Michaels even then would have been an independent contractor. Correct. Yes. <laughs> There's so many layers, so many layers behind this wrestling business. The WWF officially announced the launch of Shotgun Saturday Night. We've been talking about that on Worldwide for quite a while now. Uh, it's going to be a weekly live one-hour show that's going to be carried between, that'll be carried on between twelve and twenty stations around the country. A meeting was held with staffers at Titan Towers uh, just this last Friday to go over uh, Vince's ideas for the show. The show is being described as cutting edge with a significant amount of entertainment content <laughs> and a bit more adult-oriented than other WWF programming. Although they won't go so far as to say yet that it's going to be inappropriate for children. Uh, they know that that's one of their biggest audiences. Yeah. They should, the show is getting... They, oh, they, should, they should describe it as, it's like ECW, but it's WWF. Yeah, but stupid. <laughs> but, but incredibly dumb. <laughs> the show will emanate from various nightclubs and landmarks in the New York area. The initial lineup of stations is said to be around 15 to 20, like I said, with hopes of expanding that over the next several weeks and months. What would you, if if you had to say, uh, if you're on the WWF side and you're and you're trying to say what the reason behind the show is without making it sound like you're trying to experiment being like ECW, how on earth would you sell this as being anything other than that? Man, I don't know. I, I guess you just say wrestling is changing and in order to keep up with the times we're introducing an experimental new product to connect to youth the way that they want to see wrestling in, in the late nineties. And you just never say like they watch on ECW. You just say like, Mm -hmm. you know, young people want a different kind of wrestling and, and the WWF is willing to give them what they want (laughs) and that you just leave it at that. I could, I can hear Vince McMahon say that. <laughs> We're gonna give them what they want. Now the last, I mean, he basically does that in his Attitude Era promo. He's like, "You're tired of simple good guys versus bad guys." Like, he, right? He's telling us, like, "Hey, you already think this, and now we agree with you." you know? <laughs> right? You hate our product. Now we realize <laughs> we hate our product too. <laughs> There is, uh, in the last bit from The Torch, there is legitimate tension, according to Wade Keller, between Deborah McMichael and woman behind the scenes. Ooh. Which I guess would make sense, seeing as an entire storyline is basically Deborah has decided that Nancy is a harlot uh-huh. and, a, and a jealous tramp, even though the two of them never had any personal animosity to speak of before. Maybe, maybe that would explain why her promo was so, like, off the rails, Right, like, it certainly could. I'm, Although I think rails is probably yeah. a good way of explaining with that promo. <laughs> like, like, like I said from that episode, it was like Deborah was channeling her inner Mongo, <laughs> and it was so unexpected because yeah. 
she i i thought like one of her qualities was like she gave a very straightforward promo that just she had been a good promo yeah, up until then there, yeah. she, she left very little room for error i felt like you know <laughs> but then this most recent week was just insane <laughs> <laughs> all right well it's time to go elsewhere for our dirt sheet uh, dalliances. Uh-huh. Took me too long to think of the second D. Because this is a little segment that we call Observe This. Observe this, brother. This is what we call a rag sheet. In Memphis, uh, in over in Jerry Lawler's promotion, uh-huh. Miss Texas has joined the Nation of Domination. That's, of course, we should say that Memphis is used by the WWF as kind of a, uh, not a training ground, but place, well, a little bit, but it's also a place where they kind of work out storylines and ideas. Yeah. So uh, Miss Texas has joined the Nation of Domination under the name, under the name Queen Moesha. Now, by the time that she makes it to the WWF, she will not be a part of the nation, as far as I can remember anyway, and she will be using the name Jackie. Oh, okay. ECW has begun to offer short-term contracts to wrestlers that it sees as vital to its pay-per-view next year. So, no more hot dog and a handshake from Paul Heyman. He's trying to <laughs> lock down a few guys, especially since... Uh, I mean, both both organizations, but especially WCW, have not been shy about raiding the ECW roster. Okay, so he, he he's kind of like we. I I realize that people come here wanting to go to WCW. I just want to make sure you come here first, right? Right. Yeah. <laughs> At least stay through the paper. <laughs> For love of God, just get me through the spring. Then go wherever you want. Speaking of guys who will be in ECW for that pay-per-view, uh, FMW, of course, uh, Frontier Martial Arts, or uh, is that what it's called? Frontier Martial Wrestling? Martial Arts Wrestling. What? It's hyphenated. Okay. Okay. Uh, over in Japan, uh, there's a guy there known as Gladiator who said that he is going to join ECW in February, which he does under his U.S. name, Mike Awesome. Oh, I was trying to figure because I was thinking of uh, like a, a mass like cruiserweight or something like that. So ah, no, a little bit different from that. <laughs> no, uh, we've talked a little bit, uh, including our last episode, about the fact that WCW is touring Germany right now. Oh yeah, yep. Uh, that, so yeah, that's we, where we talked... Benoit Woman are currently. Benoit Woman, uh, Lex Luger, Glacier Six. Probably, probably um, Steven Regal. He always gets sent over to those things. No, he was there, but he's back because okay, uh, because his wife was pregnant and started having complications. Everything ends up being fine, but he flew back a little early from his tour because of that. Um, we'll see him, in fact, on the next Nitro. Uh, but it's so it's a lot of guys. We talked about whether or not. Um, because I was going through the results and we were talking about Mortis being there, and you were wondering if that was yes. actually under yep. the gimmick of Mortis. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can confirm that it was indeed Mortis um, because it comes up in the Observer. Dave is giving the results of the matches and he says Mortis. And then he says uh, that he believes Mortis was supposed to be a part of the Blood Runs Cold storyline. And that he believes that it is being portrayed by Chris Canyon, which is accurate. Mm -hmm. So indeed, yeah, they debuted Mortis for WCW fans in Germany on this tour. 
that must have been very confusing. <laughs> <laughs> Although I, I mean, I have no idea like how how fanatic uh, Germany German uh, people in Germany were for wrestling at this point. Yeah. Maybe maybe they just knew. Only a few people aside from Hulk Hogan, for as far as I know. Well, I'll tell you, I'll tell you that they are only showing up uh, on this tour to the tune of about four hundred to a thousand people per stop, oh. which is considered a big failure. Oh, okay. Uh, the tour is, yeah, it's a pretty low attended tour. Um, however, they are planning on going back in the summer of '97 with more of their big names, including like the Outsiders. So, okay. gonna, they're still trying to to work over in Germany. I feel like they also do that to the bitter end too. WCW. Sure. I, I think yeah. I believe they're doing tours up until the very end. Oh, of, interesting. Of Germany. We talked about ECW signing guys longer term deals. Mm-hmm. WCW is doing the same. Rey Mysterio Jr., Psychosis, and Juventud Guerrera have all signed contracts. Well, Super Kalo, Laparca, Viano Four, Halloween, and Damien have all signed letters of intent to sign contracts in the near future. Okay. Uh, in kind of a, a savvy move and something that, you know, your average fan might not be aware of, but certainly points to the business acumen of Eric Bischoff. He negotiated a three-year deal with the French TV network Canal Plus, which would lead Canal Plus to switch from showing WWF programming to WCW. They've been showing WWF programming for almost a decade. So this is uh this is huge and it is a seven figure deal. So WCW is getting millions of dollars uh on this three year commitment from Canal Plus. It's a real feather in the cap for Eric Bischoff. It's it's interesting because I was looking for something in the Nitro book that Guy Evans wrote recently. Yeah. And uh I ended up reading this section, which was not what I was looking for, but I read this section where they were talking about uh, the Turner, I forget the exact thing, it was like vice president of, like senior vice president of televised entertainment was planning on retiring. And like a lot of people inside the company, not a lot of people, I shouldn't say a lot, but some people inside the company were saying that Eric Bischoff would be considered a natural fit because he was already within the Turner organization. Mm -hmm. He had taken one of their uh, money-losing companies and started to turn a profit, and he was showing like this remarkable acumen for getting these huge deals done. Um, So regardless of whatever has happened to Eric Bischoff in the years since December of 1996, Mm -hmm. there was a time where people within Turner, which was a huge, huge mega media company at the time yeah that was about to go through a merger that would make them even even bigger company thought that this guy would not just be like the wrestling guy but he could be the guy overseeing both tnt and tbs turner classic movies their movie division like all sorts of extreme like just things that hundreds of millions of dollars move through these organizations yeah uh, so I just I read that thing in Nitro book and then I read about this business deal that Bischoff pulled off getting his competitor pulled and replaced with himself while he's getting millions of dollars for it. And it's just like, wow, this guy really did have a very, very bright future at one point. Uh, and it's kind of fascinating to think of where he was at that point in time mm-hmm. and all the things that sort of happened from there until now. Yeah, I mean. I, I mean, I just try to imagine 
the sort of like crazy amount of like uh confidence he must have in his position yes. at this point uh or how inflated his ego must have gone to at this point because if they're if, how could it not <laughs> i mean because if the nitro book is talking about those rumors at the time i'm sure bishop heard those rumors or people uh like felt him out for that sort of position and just knowing that they're looking at him for something like that probably makes him feel like you know the sky's the limit you know he maybe yeah. he might even be thinking like i could replace vince mcmahon as the king of wrestling sure and, absolutely you know, he he must feel like everything he's touching is turning to gold like he is what is what is it uh midas no no i was thinking about the, the idea of like like getting is a water from a rock or is a blood from a rock or something uh, like that blood from a stone blood yeah. from a stone yeah where he he's finding like hundreds of millions of dollars where there was nothing yes. pretty much and i can see like a major company looking at that and be like if we put him in charge of a wider like net of influence he could be finding billions of dollars for us instead right and what might have seemed ridiculous taking this guy who was a model and tried to sell some like toys that didn't quite work out and then was an announcer mm-hmm. and elevating him to this position might seem on its face like a, a stretch but putting him in in charge of WCW was a ridiculous stretch. Right. And if you're looking at it in January or excuse me, December of 1996, it was a stretch that paid off in spades. Yeah. Like that was a huge gamble that Turner took mm-hmm. that right now looks genius. There's there's no reason to think um, that it's not just something that's going to continue. Right. Uh, in our last bit out of the Observer, Starcade coming up on the 29th sold out on December 13th. Seven days after tickets went on sale. So it took a week to sell out. Nashville is very, very hot for Starcade. So I'm anticipating that that crowd is going to be lively when we get there in just a few weeks. That's that's very exciting. A quick sellout means to me like a hot crowd that really wants to see what we're going to, you know, be showing. Yeah, it'll be, I mean, because it, it just seems like for, for Nitros, there's not... Um, typically a lot of emphasis as far as making sure that the tickets are all being sold to actual fans. Um, That's just, it's more of like the production side of having it on television. Um, So it'll be, it'll be interesting to see what a lively pay-per-view wrestling crowd at, for a WCW event is going to look like. Yeah. I think they've been great on nitro lately. Um, Mm -hmm. And and so I'm looking forward to that for a three hour pay-per-view. All right, our last segment here uh, is we like to go over the Saturday night results. So we're looking at Saturday. This is December 14th, 1996. Dean Malenko beat Billy Kidman via submission to retain the Cruiserweight title. Joe Gomez and Renegade defeated High Voltage. Jeff Jarrett beat Larry Santo with a figure four. Diamond Dallas Page beat Rex King. The Ice Train with Teddy Long beat Big Sexy. <laughs> just someone named big sexy yeah so uh yeah i put a, a meaningful pause there right because i i was hoping you would ask me about it so there's a guy uh his name is luther biggs and he actually will see him i believe in vent- eventually mm-hmm. on nitro if i'm not mistaken um he definitely shows up on like saturday night and other shows but he came in this was his his tryout match with wcw 
And yeah, his his name in wrestling is Big Sexy. And okay. the okay. Nitro, this is, I mentioned earlier that I was looking for something in the Nitro book. I, di- I haven't found it yet. I'm hoping maybe we can talk about it in our next worldwide episode um, when I actually track it down. Because I, I, I don't have a digital copy. I just have a paperback copy. So finding a specific uh, little tiny paragraph is, is kind of difficult. Yeah. But yeah, they brought in a guy named Big Sexy. They eventually did hire him. They never pushed him. He was never a big name. You'd never really heard of Luther Biggs. Uh, but yeah, they, they did end up paying him, but they also just sort of gave his name, uh, which he probably did not have copyrighted. They just gave it to Kevin Nash, Yeah, which is messed up. (laughs) I, I've tried to see if I could find like a shoot interview with him and I haven't found anything. Uh, so if anyone out there knows if you can find anything like Luther Biggs has ever said about this, I'd be pretty fascinated. Yeah. Um, because like that's messed up. That sucks. <laughs> He's like, hey, wait a second. <laughs> and it's almost impossible to find anything about him because if you Google like big sexy WCW, <laughs> right. he, all you find is Kevin Nash. <laughs> right. You have to actually like look up Luther Biggs. Yeah. Uh, and there's not a ton of information out there. Uh, elsewhere on that Saturday night, the Faces of Fear defeated Roadblock and Ron Studd. Uh, so the last time we saw Roadblock and Rod Studd, they were having a match against each other on Saturday night. Now they're just a team. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, also on Saturday night, Regal pinned Hugh Morris to retain the television title. And Hacksaw Jim Duggan defeated David Taylor uh, via taped fist punch, of course. Uh, I don't have full results because we really just do Saturday night. But uh, an interesting night from or an interesting note, rather, from WCW main event tapings. Uh, it's not one that was shown this weekend, but something that will be shown rather n- the weekend after the next Nitro. Scott Norton came out for a squash match. Uh, he was squashing someone else. Yeah. But he came out with NWO music, and he was wearing an NWO t-shirt on his way to the ring. Oh, okay. So the fans of that TV taping may be privy to a little upcoming information. Oh. Or, or they're just really confused, too, and don't know who this guy is. Now, Saturday the 14th was not the end of weekend uh, results, as, of course, Sunday the 15th, as we alluded to earlier, had the WWF in your house. It's time. So we'll quickly run through those uh, results, because the next time you hear from us, it's going to be Monday the 16th, 1996. All right. So at It's Time, Flash Funk defeated Leaf Cassidy. Owen Hart and Davey Boy Smith retained their tag belts, defeating Razor Ramon and Diesel. Uh-huh. During that match, Jim Ross pointed out that none of the four wrestlers in the ring were between the ages of 45 and 50, none of them were bald, and none of them had any artificial body parts. Oh, okay. All right, Jim. Taking a few shots. I, yeah. I see how it is. <laughs> Ahmed Johnson had a promo segment uh, where he was heckled by the Nation of Domination. <laughs> uh, where Farouk called him an Uncle Tom. Oh, so okay, so we're doing that. Very cool. <laughs> hey guys, very cool. <laughs> I was watching in your house. Very cool. <laughs> Mark Miro defeated uh, Triple H by like uh, they were both they were doing a double down, and Miro answered the ten count. Triple H couldn't, so Miro retains his Intercontinental Title. Mm-hmm. The Undertaker beat the Executioner in, I want to say it was called like an Armageddon rules match. <laughs> Which I think just no holds barred. I think it was Last Man Standing. 
uh, if I remember right. But okay. yeah, it was some bullshit like that. <laughs> it was something dumb. And Sid retained the WWF title, beating Bret Hart. Uh, on commentary, Shawn Michaels was out for the main event, and he was saying a lot of shoot comments about Hart, saying that he's arrogant and obnoxious, uh, also saying that Sid was the most expensive piece of luggage in the WWF, because if it wasn't for guys like him carrying Sid every night, he would be a total zero. Ooh. Uh, I think this is funny. This is a quote from Dave Meltzer. You can't argue the point, but it is something new to have the champion of a promotion's total lack of ability used within their own storylines. I'm just waiting for the day somebody in WCW builds up an angle with Hogan by saying that he only won all those matches because he insisted on booking his own finishes. Maybe we're a few years from that one. Yeah. I laughed so hard reading that because it's not the first time that Meltzer has, like, completely accurately predicted where wrestling was going to go a year or two later. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's ex- like they they do that exact thing he's talking about. I guess the common denominator is uh Vince Russo who is involved with both of them yeah. when they kind of get to that point. Yeah, you can you can sure you can sure like uh filter out where the uh quality is when it comes to Vince Russo. <laughs> Uh, so Sid wins via a bunch of shenanigans involving Sean, Owen, Davey, and Steve Austin. Uh, <laughs> so they're protecting Hart. He doesn't just, like, lose clean. It, a bunch of shit happens. Or also protecting Sid and his inability to carry himself in a match, apparently. <laughs> uh, and then the show ended up with Hart attacking Sean. Uh, the crowd cheered Bret Hart for that, which seemed to piss off Sean as he was uh, then swearing at fans at ringside as the show went off the air. <laughs> Setting up for that big WrestleMania match that's going to totally happen. Oh, yeah. yeah I can't wait. WrestleMania 13. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> we just put Sean over at the Royal Rumble in his hometown, and then Brett gets his win back at WrestleMania. That's just, it's all planned out. I can't wait. <laughs> right. It's a full <laughs> circle where we're... Brett gave all this to Sean, and Sean reciprocates, as as his happens in wrestling. <laughs> all right. Well, that's going to wrap it for Worldwide. Our last segment, as always, we like to talk about something here in the present day, because uh, we normally don't talk about present day wrestling, but what's something in 2019 that is exciting us about wrestling? Uh, Dave, I want to put the pressure on you. Why don't you go first? What's got you excited right now? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I I was I was really I was really into all the wrestling for the first like couple of months, but recently it's just it, it feels very directionless. And um I don't what's exciting? Um um oh, um uh Hiromu came back in New Japan yeah, for wrestling. That's, that's that's happened. I mean, it happened um, before uh, before our last show, uh, before our Nitro, but we didn't really talk about anything today in recent uh, in, in today's wrestling. Uh, yeah. yeah, but uh, was it Hiromu Takahashi? Takahashi. Takahashi. I always want to call him Tanahashi, which is absolutely wrong. <laughs> the Takahashi, he came back. Um, did a bunch of zany stuff where he was throwing himself into the turnbuckles and landing on his head 
to show that his neck was fine. Yeah. And he's going to have the the championship, his uh, junior heavyweight championship match against Will Osprey at Russell Kingdom. Russell Kingdom, even, even though I like, I I'm not a fan of like the two night affair that they decided to do. I'm not either, to be honest with you. Um, but I'm really excited for that match. Um, there's there's just and there's gonna be just really good matches at Russell yeah. Kingdom. Um, uh, Kota Ibushi's gonna face Okada, and and then I think it's Jay White against uh, Naito, and it's like kind of like a, the winners of those will face each other in a double title match the next night. Right. That whole setup sounds awesome. Um, I kind of wish that they just would decide to do it the same night, but whatever. So that, that pay-per-view I'm very much looking forward to, and it's like about a month away. Um, so that's something I'm excited about. Just right now in American wrestling, I just I'm, there's nothing in particular going on that I'm like super stoked on. Yeah, I'd have to go to um, somebody I've talked or, or, or something I've talked about before, um, probably even in these segments because it's been a while since we've recorded a, a group of episodes, but uh first wrestling uh, i've talked a lot about there are kind of our local prestige indie our local great indie um their wrestlepalooza show that they do out of first ave in january and june uh obviously january is right around the corner yep so i'm going to that um i know they've got jake atlas on that show who is wrapping up indie dates before he heads off to nxt mm-hmm so I'm going out there. Um, I actually had tickets to see them last week, but there was a bunch of snow. And I, in my old age, I'm just a big baby about traveling in snow. So I didn't even go to the show. I was really bummed because uh, Darren Corbin actually faced Tommy Dreamer at that show <laughs> at the Uptown VFW. Um, but yeah, so if I had anything that I'm excited about right now, uh, it's it's that I'm going to that. And I kind of agree with you. I wouldn't say it's it's not that I'm no longer excited for AEW. It's that I realize that once I kind of quit Raw, it's really hard for me to get back into watching a live weekly wrestling television show. Mm-hmm. Like Wednesdays is already when I have trivia. Uh, I go to a bar and play trivia with friends, and that's just like that's kind of my big night out every week, you know. And it's it's. Um, as excited as I was, like I, there was never a question in my mind. Like I was going to stop that to be at home and watch wrestling. Yeah. And on the nights where I don't go to trivia and I try to put it on, like I'm kind of into it and then just commercials happen or my kids need something. Mm -hmm. And so even though I like it, I I, I don't have anything against the product. I I don't want to disparage them. I just, it's, it's not right now. I'm not in a place where I want to keep up with modern wrestling. Like, I'm really having my most fun with wrestling when I'm watching these nitros and taking my notes and going through these newsletters and finding the weird shit that was going on at the time. I'm not going to be the old man yelling at a cloud and saying that it was better than it. I'm not, it wasn't, it just, that's kind of what I'm connecting with right now. And that's the thing that's exciting me most, but I do like my local indie, uh, always support your local indies wrestling fans, uh, because they will not steer you wrong. Yeah. I mean, I don't think, I mean, what we grew up on was like mid to late nineties wrestling, but even nowadays, like I would say the majority of matches I see at a first, because we went to a first wrestling show in August and I would say like the majority of the matches we saw there are higher quality than mid nineties wrestling. Like, Oh, sure. Yeah. Just 
across the board in wrestling today, wrestlers are better, they're more athletic, and they have a better presentation of professional wrestling matches. They just perform better. Yeah. Um, but it's just, I can totally see, like, the understand, like, because watching the old wrestling is just like, there's so much nostalgia that just goes along with it, too, that just makes it enjoyable, even if you're just kind of casually sitting there and letting it sink in. Or I just, it just isn't quite the same with uh, with wrestling today. Or because AEW is not like a nostalgia trip or anything like that. It does, right. it, it feels like it's an alternative to WWE, but it's still within the, the rules of WWE, basically. I think that's fair. Yeah, absolutely. All right, well, I think that's going to do it for this episode of Worldwide. The next time that you hear from us, we will be breaking down the December 16th, 1996 Nitro. So if you want to prepare for that episode, that's the one you're going to want to fire up on the WWE Network. Uh, And we will talk about it with you right here where the big boys play. 20 years of Nitro. Yeah.